I'm happy that I know the Lord. He is, he is everything to me and everything that I ever hoped for. And uh, I'm glad that he's given me a few days longer than most. And I think there's a few here older than me, but um, if I can get up here and do it, you can get out there and do it. <laughs> oh, Lord. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing an old man to fill the pulpit. I'm glad that there is still people who love truth. Also, I'm happy to have my good friend, Brother Buchanan, um, just recently become the pastor of the church, and he let his daddy preach this morning so he could stay up here with us. Right. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. To be here with uh, you good folks, the Williams what would God do if we just let him here this morning? If we just say, here I am, Lord. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm, I'm an open book. Just let me do it. I want to read a scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 26 through 30. 1 Samuel Seventeen twenty six, and and David spoke unto the the men that stood by, saying, "What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God?" And the people answered him after this manner, saying. So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his elder or eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why cometh thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness in thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. Uh, I, I want to talk to you today on the subject uh, the process of elimination. The process of elimination. You can be seated. In, in my travels, I have seen people uh, eliminate themselves. And uh, they, they, they feel like because of circumstances, they have to go a certain way. And, uh, but I find that if, if we put all we have into it, 
This is what God could do for us. Because here's David. He's a young man. And uh, he was sent by his dad to go down and bring some things uh, to his brothers. They were in a battle, and the battle was raging. And uh, it, it looked like without a help, the help of God, they, they wouldn't make it. Because here's this guy, he would come down and he would scream at them and say, send me a man to fight. And I said, we, we're going to make a deal with you. We'll put this one man and one man. Uh, we'll let this man be representative of the Philistine people. You send a man and whoever wins, uh, that nation will be the ruler. Whoever loses will have to bow down to the winner. You know, <clears throat> so David was a little shepherd boy. We refer to him as a little shepherd boy. I, I want to correct that this morning. He wasn't the little shepherd boy. Uh, I studied probably 75 hours when I found something in history. Uh, we've always talked about little David. You've probably heard that, little David. Little David wasn't little. He was about seven foot tall. And he wasn't the tallest of the brothers because the Bible says uh, concerning this elder brother that he was a great man. And I looked up that word great, and it meant he was a uh, giant and in, in when, when they were to pick a king in Israel, they chose Saul because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a tall man. Uh, David, when he was born, his, his daddy, Jesse, had played the while and put his wife away. And in the process of that, uh, after he put his wife away, he didn't know at that moment that she was expecting a child. So uh, when they found out uh, that she was expecting a child, they, uh, she, as, as she was a part of the family, she was still there, but they put her out in a little... Uh, small shed on the side and she could never eat with the family anymore. And then when the baby was born, uh, that baby could not be classified as a son of Jesse because he was an illegitimate child in their eyes. And because he was an illegitimate child, he had to take his uh, place with his mother as she was classified as a prostitute because she gave birth to a son out of wedlock, he thought. But God knows everything that's going on. And so for 26 years, David 
had to live out on the hillside as a shepherd because uh, he was born in their classification as one born out of wedlock. And because of that, uh, he could not eat with his brothers. And because they classified him in that fashion, uh, he couldn't even go to war. He had to go out into the side of the hill and look after sheep. And his brothers were warriors, and they were, they, they were blessed because they were tall men, giant men. And uh, someone tried to argue with me about this. Said, well, you know, in, in, in my digging in Jewish history, I, I found something that startled me. Uh, all the years I've been preaching, I talked about little David, but when I found out it wasn't little David anymore because he was seven foot tall or maybe a few inches over seven foot, big, big guy. You know, when he, uh, after he went down on this particular occasion that I read about, uh, he was sent to Saul and Saul said, uh, uh, I want you to try on my garment. And he put his uh, warrior's suit on him. The Bible didn't say it It drugged the ground like I have heard it preached. He said, I've not tried this before. He said, I, I've not tried this before. So uh, I, I know what I've tried, and I've got this sling, and I'm, I'm good at it. Matter of fact, he was so good at it that he could hit the bullseye and uh, throwing it underhand or overhand or behind his back because he just was out on the hillside and while the sheep was enjoying uh, the grass, he was uh, practicing. And, and then I, I, I can back up a little bit now and, and uh, I think about his, his uh, parents, uh, Jesse, uh, was an arrogant man even though uh, he was part of the family. Uh, he, he was the, the son of Ruth and Boaz. And uh, he come from a line of giants. Ruth, uh, who was a sister to, what's his, what's his sister's name? Uh, Ruth and uh, Orpha. Orpha was, uh, they, were, they, were, they were sisters of, and the daughters of king, the king of Eglon. And they come from the giants. Uh, Orpha give birth to five sons. The biggest of them was Goliath. Uh, Goliath and his four brothers, which were uh, 11 and 12 foot tall. And uh, Ruth, Arpha's sister, when she gave birth uh, down the line, here was David who was seven foot tall. And his brothers uh, probably was eight to eight and a half foot tall. They were, you know, I, I've looked around. I haven't seen any giants like that here today. But... uh my brother was 6'6", six, six, and uh, uh, 
I come from a family that was seven foot, seven foot one, seven foot two, seven foot three. They, they were giants. I, I, I didn't get that side of the family. But uh, I, I would look at them, and uh, I remember one of my relatives, when I'd walk up to him, I, I would look at his belt buckle. His legs was long. He was, he was tall, uh, seven foot one or seven foot two. And uh, I, I thought about this process, the process of elimination. David, uh, Jesse told him, he said, boy, get down there and bring them and uh, kids some food. And he went down because uh, he was considered a servant of Jesse because he was born, he said, out of wedlock. And for 26 years, David had to stay out there. But then come the day on this occasion where I've read the scripture that David was there and uh, he, he looked at them and he said, and Eliab, his brother, looked at him and he says, uh, why have you come down here? Uh, you, you've left those few sheep. Don't you know you got to look after them sheep? It, your job is to look after the sheep. What are you doing down here anyway? And at that point, Eliab eliminated himself from becoming the king of Israel. You don't go against God's plan because when God does something, he knows how to do it well. And so Eliab, the elder brother, David being the younger, he eliminated himself from being king. And then uh, if I understand this right, I stand correction, but the other brothers, the other six were there in that same battle and uh, the Bible says, uh, let, me, let me read it to it. They come down and, and David said, what have I done? What is the cause? Why are y'all putting down on me? And Eliab, the elder brother, when, when he heard them uh, speak to the men, he said, why have you come down here? And don't you know that you have a job to do? And, and the brothers agreed with this elder brother, and then they were eliminated from the process. My Lord, have mercy. And when God called me, I, I said, God, don't, don't put me in that elimination group. Uh, if you want me to do something, you just tell me. And if you tell me something that something's going on, that someone needs help in church, I, I'll deal with it. I'm, I'm not afraid. And uh, I, have, I have seen the miraculous working of God in many occasions where people were granted uh, great things because they, they stepped out and said what God told them to say. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You know, uh, the first church I pastored as a young man, uh, some elders told me, said, Brother Bourne, you're making the worst mistake of your life. You're going down to pastor a little church out in the woods. Uh, gravel road turned into just a dirt clay road. And, and uh, there was not anything there. It wasn't even a store for five miles. Uh, you, you get down there and, and there, there's nobody there. And, and you're just wasting your time. And I said, well... I fasted, and God told me to come, so I did. 
But when revival broke out and people started praying through and uh, God uh, stepped into a denominal church and uh, they wanted me to come speak to them, so I went and spoke to them and all of them prayed through the Holy Ghost except the pastor. And uh, uh, so he was left with just a church and no people. They all come to where I was pastoring. And so uh, someone says they won't make it. If you have two that survives this, uh, you will have done good. So I fell on my face and I said, God, this is not the way you do things. And instead of having two out of 60 and then two out of 80 or three out of 90 that was praying through, I said, surely this is not the way it's going to go. Uh, but the process of elimination eliminates people who don't believe that God can do what they think is impossible. Oh, Lord. I, I was there the other day, four, five, five weeks, four weeks ago, and I preached at that church where I resigned 55 years ago. And uh, that, that night, on a Wednesday night, unannounced, uh, the pastor just got a hold of him and said, can you come by? So I did. And there was over 100 that were still there that prayed through 55 years ago. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's not the fact that we're going to pray 50 through and we're not going to keep any. We can keep them when we make up our mind that we are not going to be eliminated by some force or, or people who don't believe that revival is for them. God can bring about a revival in this church where a thousand gets a Holy Ghost and you retain a thousand. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. I told uh, Brother, the elder brother, Brother Williams, old Brother Williams, well, he's a young, young man compared to me, but uh, I told him in the officer a few moments ago, said I, uh, I was in California and uh, I, the first time I got there, I was, I was late. The, the, my plane was late, and I was an hour later getting to church. And when I, when I walked in the side door, he just said, Brother Bourne, come on to the pulpit. It's time for you to preach. They had sung every song they knew twice <clears throat> or three times and waiting. And when I walked in, uh, 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 I said, God, if you don't help me tonight, I'm, I'm going to make the worst mess of my life. And and the Lord said, see that man sitting on the back seat in the middle aisle? And I, I looked like that, and I said, I see him. He said, tell him this. And so I said, okay, God, if you'll explain to me what you want me to tell him, I'll tell him. And so I said, sir, you sitting on the back seat back there, right by the aisle. I said, God told me to tell you to stand up and give praise to the Lord. And... Um, he looked at me and he says, I can't. He said, you don't know what I've been through today. I said, I don't have to know what you've been through. But if you'd respond what I'm telling you, everything that you lost today, God would give it back to you. And I, I believe it like that. So he, he looked at me and he says, you don't know what I lost. I said, I don't have to know what you lost. But this is what happened. Uh, because of a deal that 
fell through with him and his business went bad. He, he, they repossessed his house and his car and his truck and he had nothing. Uh, his, his family was distraught and he didn't know how he could, how he could make it. And um, I said, sir, I'm, I'm telling you, if you'll get out now and do what I'm telling you, God will restore everything that you've lost. And the pastor stepped up beside me and said, Brother Bourne, tell these people that I hadn't talked to you. I said, well, I hadn't talked to this man in uh, three weeks. And what happened uh, that day, I, I certainly didn't know about, except when I walked to the pulpit, the Lord said, deal with that man. And so I, I started, I said, sir, the process that you've got to go through right now, the only way you'll come out of it is you obey what I'm telling you to do, and you've got to get out now, and you've got to dance before the Lord. He said, I can't. He said, you don't know what I've gone through today. As it turned out, the pastor told me after church, he says, he spent five hours in my office today, and finally I told him, I don't have an answer for you. But said, Brother Bourne will be here, and he'll tell you exactly what to do, and you just do whatever he tells you to do. And so I told him, just get out now and dance. That's all you got to do. I said, matter of fact, if you will do that, the bank that dealt with you today will call you, and they will tell you to meet them at 8 o'clock in the morning. And if you'll go, they'll restore everything that's been taken away from you and he said, that's impossible. I said, don't tell me things are impossible, sir. And everybody was looking at me. No one knew me. They were looking at me like, what tree did he fall out of? How in the world did he get here? How, how, how does he know what's going on with that man? I, well, I didn't. But the Holy Ghost was telling me what to tell him. And so I was just telling him. And finally, I he said, well, I can't. I said, well, look, just, just step out in the aisle. So he stepped out in the aisle. I said, now, pick up your right foot. Now put it down. Now pick up your left foot and put it down. Pick up your right foot and put it down. Pick up your left foot and put it down. And I said, then get faster. I said, if you will respond, I'm telling you, by 8 o'clock in the morning, the bank will call you and restore everything that's been taken away from you. Finally, he started responding by picking up one foot and holding it. And I seen some saying, is this real? you got to be kidding. I was reading their lips. <laughs> Boy, that just tickled me good because I knew I had their attention. God had their attention. So this is what happened. The process of elimination of all the doubts in his mind. He met the banker the next morning at 8 o'clock there in Modesto, California. And the banker told him when he walked in, he says, we have made a terrifying mistake. They hadn't made a mistake, but God made them believe they did. They said, we've made a terrifying mistake. And if you will allow us, and they opened up a folder, and they took out some papers, and they said, uh, here is the title to your home. 
you owed several hundred thousand dollars on your home. But uh, we have stamped it, paid in full. And here's, here's, a, here's a title to your, to your truck that you owed a lot of money on, and we got it stamped, paid in full. And here's a title to your car, and we got it stamped, paid in full. If you will sign this paper that you won't sue us for what we've done to you. And he thought, they hadn't done anything wrong to me. I deserved everything they'd done. But God made them believe they'd done wrong. Oh, Lord. And so the next morning, everything that he had lost was restored to him. And he had all the papers of all of his vehicles and his home. And it was stamped paid in full. And it all happened because he finally said, okay. That don't seem like it'll work, but uh, you've pressed me, so I'm going to give her a try. I believe today, if you're going through a situation, either sickness or whatever it might be, your response to the holy God of Israel if you would respond in every fashion that you know before you walked out, if no one else respond, you're the one that needs help, and God will help you just like he did there. David looked at them, and he says, what have I done? You, you, you put me down. But when he did, he eliminated himself from being the next king of Israel. And that was where way ahead of what was going to happen down the road. And so here he is, uh, and, and, the, and then the Bible says, if I understand it right, I stand correct in there. But all the brothers, his six brothers, uh, along with, uh, what was his name? E-L-I-A-B, Eliab. Is that the way you say it? Uh, they all stood together on the fact that David shouldn't be there. And he was saying, what have I done that you talk to me like that? They eliminated themselves from the blessing that could have been theirs. I'm going to get mine. I say, I'm going to get mine. And people don't understand. They, they, they look at me and says, uh, who do you think you are? I said, well, I'm a child of God. And I am of the current belief that whatever I ask for, I can get it. I tell my, my family, I said, you know, I, I don't care what you're going through. God will heal you. It don't matter how bad it is. I, I come in one night. I'd been off preaching, and I, I, I got home about 4.30 a.m., and my father-in-law uh, had uh, a... Bad, bad cancer, <clears throat> and he had lost weight down to 62 pounds. He, was, he weighed about 240 before he got sick, but then he had uh, cancer of the kidneys, and it systemized to his hips, and it ate the hip bones out of his body, 
and all the bones in his body deteriorated, and now he's down to 60 pounds, and the doctor says he, he can't live. But I, I come in that, that morning, and uh, he was in a bed in our living room because we were looking after him, my wife and myself, and, but I was off preaching, and I come in, and, and uh, I, I walked up to him, and I was looking at him, and he opened his eyes, and he, he couldn't talk, but he just moved his lips, and he says, it's all over, son. And I said, no, it's not over. And I, I have this large troubadour harp, and I reached over in the corner and got that harp, and I pulled it over, and I said, God, this worked for David. It's going to work for me. And so I pulled that harp up right beside his bed, right there in the living room of our house, and, and uh, I started playing on that harp. And I, I love harp music, and I, I was playing Amazing Grace, and I saw a tear run down the side of his face. I said, he said, it, he, he moved his lips. It's, it's all over. I said, no, it's not over. God just told me he's going to raise you up. Well, you know, when, you, when you're down to 60 pounds, and your bones is all deteriorated, and cancer is eat the hip bone out. And just for me and my wife, just to turn him in bed, it would take all four of our hands would try to turn him, and it would break a bone, or it, it would, we could hear it crack, and it was nothing left. But that, that, that night at 4 o'clock, I took that harp, and I pulled it over by his bed, and I, I started playing, and, and I said, God just told me he's going to raise you up, Papa. So you just get ready. Well, it, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in six months. But uh, he started. My wife would uh, put food in a blender and then uh, put some in a straw and, and just let it dribble into his mouth. And... Uh, he, he got back up to 70 pounds. Boy, he done got fat. And then he got back up to 80 pounds. And then 90. And then 100. And he got to 110. And one day I, I said, Papa, we're going to try to set you up. And I got him and I put him about 12 degrees, about like this. And he said, well, son, don't roll me out of bed. I said, well, I'm not going to roll you out of bed, Papa. Uh, God's going to raise you up. At 220, he and I went to General Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. And he said, uh, I said, well, I'll just let you out so you won't have to walk very far. And he said, no, I'll, I'll walk wherever you walk. And so when I found a parking place, it was a half a mile back to the auditorium. And we come walking down through there. We walk slow, kind of like I do now. And uh, I said, you're all right? He said, oh, I'm, I'm good. At uh, 240, he lived for years. Uh, one day he said, uh, uh, Jerome, he said, t t I need to go see my doctor. He said, I, I hadn't seen him in quite a while. And so we went to the doctor's office and uh, we walked in and, and I told him, I said, we need to see uh, Dr. Sigma Fruit. Uh, that wasn't his name, but that fit him real good. His name was Kilborn. I didn't like that name. So Sigma Fruit fit him a lot better. 
Kilborn. K-I-L-L-B-O-U-R-N. That's me. Born. And every time I'd see him, I'd look at that name. I'd say, Kilborn. I said, you ain't getting your hands on me, bud. <laughs> and so we asked for Dr. Kilborn if he would come out. And he'd come out of his office. And uh, he walked up to us. And he said, can I help you all? And I said, well, well yes, sir. I got a man here who wanted to see you. And he said, uh, yes, sir. Who are you? And he said, I'm Reverend A.L. Travis. And the doctor said, pardon? He said, A.L. Travis. And the doctor looked around and he found a chair and he, he got a hold of that chair and he sat down. He says, A.L. Travis? He said, I thought you was dead. He said, everybody thought I was dead. You thought I was dead, but do I look dead? He said, no, sir. He said, he turned to his office and he said, cancel all of my appointments. We're going to MD Anderson and we're going to walk through the hospital. We're going to, we're going to go to the floors and we're going to pray for the people. He wasn't a believer, but that day he become a believer. You know, the process of elimination. Boy, if I could get that doubt out of your mind today that your children will run these aisles and talk in tongues like you used to and God will bring your grandchildren in that you think would never bow a knee. God can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be eliminated by the help of the Lord. I'm not going to be eliminated from anything that God's got for me in this world or in this church or in this town. Oh, Lord. You say, Brother Bourne, does God still do these things? Absolutely. So uh, Dr. Kilborn took us down through, went up to the seventh floor where his critically ill patients are that had no hope. And we would walk into the room, and he would say, uh, he'd call their name. He said, I know you think there's no hope, but this is Reverend A.L. Travis. And he said uh, he had the, the most terrifying cancer that you could have. All the bones in his body deteriorated. He got down to 60 pounds, and look at him today, 240. And he said, the same God that touched him will touch you. Boy, we spent about six hours in that hospital that day. We would walk out of one room weeping and walk into another room. We'd, we'd walk out of one room weeping and want, would walk into another And God would heal someone. And people walked out of that hospital that would have never got out before. Because... You know, we got to get to a place that we believe. Well, I, I, I want God to put me on a list of believers. I don't want him to put me on a list of elimination. Oh, hallelujah. Eliha, uh, what was his name again? Eliab. He could have been the king because he was the firstborn. And he was a tall boy of the, of the family. Man, when he walked in, 
Saul was head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. And the next king they wanted to be that was head and shoulders above everybody else. And so Eliab had the choice of being there or not. But on the battlefield, he had some harsh things to say. And uh, he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy haughtiness in thine heart, for thou art come down just that you might see the battle. You just want to look on what's going on. I'm telling you, I didn't come here just to look and see what kind of church you had. I am here because I believe that the holy God of Israel can make a visitation even on a Sunday morning and do for you things that you have written off a long time ago. I, I, I think the last time I got on the scales, I weighed 249. I'm about the size of my, that my father-in-law was. and um, You know, some people don't like their in-laws, but... Um, I loved my father-in-law, and he said to me, he said, you are more than a son. There is no one with whom I have more confidence than if God tells you something and you tell me, I believe it. Because if God's able to do it one time, he can do it again. Oh, hallelujah. I'm, I'm serving the God today who can take you out of your distress moments. Boy, I, I, I have seen people who they feel like pulling their hair out. There's no use doing that because God can give you peace. Oh, hallelujah. I, I don't know how I could feel any better than I feel right now. I, I, I don't know. Because I'm doing what God said. Uh, he's raised me up from an impossible situation. He lets me walk. He, uh, I don't move as fast as I used to, but um, I was moving too fast before. <laughs> oh, that's what's got me slowed down now. But I'm here to tell somebody, you don't have to leave here without... You know, if, if God could take a man who has lost all the way down to 61 or 62 pounds, that's not much left. Anybody here weighs 60 pounds? Uh, some of you need to lose 60 pounds, but I'll, I'll get off of that because I need to lose about 60 pounds myself. But God wants to take 60 pounds of worry out of your mind and place you oh hallelujah and, and, and I'm telling you God can do it before the sun sets this afternoon or before the sun rises in the morning and uh, I, I, I tell people this and, and some believe it and God blesses them beyond measure oh Lord have mercy I say God can take the impossible and turn it around and while you're standing there staring at how did God do this he just pours out another blessing on you and hallelujah 
They told me when I was a young man, you, you need to be careful, Brother Bourne. You're saying that God's going to deliver their children, and God don't do that anymore. And I said, well, maybe don't do it in your town, but he does it in my countryside. And uh, so I, I watched the uh, – actually, I, I, I got a piece of paper, and uh, it wound up several pieces of paper, and I said – you come put your son's name or your dad's name, and uh, you put his name on this list here that I, I want you to put it on. And every time we come to church, we'll pray over that list, and God will fill every person's name that you put on that list. And some says, well, that won't happen. But we had 54 men's name put on there, and all 54 of them got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> And all 54 still lives for God after 50 years, after 45 years, after 35 years. You say, well, it can't happen. It does where I've been. That, that child who was, if you'll pardon the expression, he was a bastard. He, that's what they classified him as. But uh, when the prophet, the Lord says, you go down to the house of Jesse and I want you to anoint one of those boys king. My Lord. And he got down there and boy, here come Eliab. Walking in, rest his head and get under the door. A six, eight door and here he was, seven, two. He had to duck down and get under the door. He walked in. He said, I'm the eldest son. I'm fixing to be the king of Israel. And when Samuel looked at him and talked to him a little bit, he says, I'm afraid not. But in what I know, he eliminated himself on the battlefield when he looked at that little boy who was a bastard in his mind. He said, he's not my brother. And now he comes down here and tells us, what is that uncircumcised Philistine challenging us about? You see, Goliath was David's third cousin because um, Ruth was the father of Jesse and uh, Orpha was the father of Goliath. And they were sisters, and the sons of Eliab, and the sons of of the kings of uh, what was that country? Moab. They were the kings of Moab, and they were giants also. And now here's these guys. And so David uh, walks down on that field. And he, he looks at Goliath and he said, hey, cuz, you've defied the armies of the living God for your last time. And I'm fixing to take you out. And I can see Goliath laughing, looking down, uh, that little short dude who wasn't but seven foot tall. And here he was, 12 foot two. And he, he laughed. And he says, you come at me with sword and stave, but I come at you with the name of the Lord and you going down. And you know, 
in the history, I didn't find this in the Bible, but in the history that I read, when he killed uh, Goliath, when David killed Goliath, you know who was standing next to him in that, that particular situation? Orpha. Orpha was standing next to Goliath, and he looked at his men. He says, take her out also. She don't deserve to live because she's defied the armies of the living God. My Lord, have mercy. And so I, I don't want to doubt. I enjoyed you singing. Sing well. You worship well. But if you don't, I'm going to get you hide. God wants us to give it everything we got. If it's just in a song or if it's just in a testimony. And if God has ever done anything for you, you owe it to tell people around you, not one time, but every time you see them. My Lord. You're looking at one who was supposed to have died uh, with a stroke, and God healed me. And you're looking at one who was supposed to have died with heart failure, and uh, I had the same kind of deal Brother Williams had, and uh, God brought me out of that. You know, it's supposed to take me a long time. But the next morning, there at that uh, hospital there in Baton Rouge, when uh, I got up, I said, I feel good. I started wanting to sing that song again. And I walked out of that hospital and never missed a lick. Oh, hallelujah. You know, the devil tries to take any of us out that's going to do something for him. But we make up our mind, it don't matter how close to death we come, we just tell God, God, you bring me back and I'll tell everybody I see what God done for me. And he, he does great things. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, I, I was there when this young man was born over in Joplin. I was there when his sister was born. I was preaching for his, his granddad. And then his dad become pastor. Now... Uh, this young man is a pastor and uh, he's following me around. I'm glad he's here because God's going to do some things in that city just like he's going to do in this city. Oh, hallelujah. If I were you, I would not stand against this young man here as God leads him because he's going to take you down some roads. And my Lord... Don't put your thumb on him and say, well, we can't do that. If God tells him to do something, stand with him and say, yes, let's go. Let's do it because this is God's plan. Dad knew what to do, and he's brought this young man on, and he's going to see a revival. Oh, Lord, have mercy. It'll, it, it'll be like David. David, he, he, Everything together, and uh, he said, I, I, I thought I was going to do this, but uh, God said, My son will do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, I, I, I don't have the figures before me, but uh, I, I read where David uh, collected a, um, 100,000 talents 
of gold. 100,000 talents of gold. You know how much a talent is? 66 pounds. 66 pounds times, uh, how, do you, how do you figure that? 66 pounds times uh, 16, that gives you the ounces, and then it's, it's over $2,000 an ounce now, so 2,000 times uh, 100,000 times uh, 16 ounces in a pound, and it, it comes to about uh, one point or two point eight billion dollars. That's just in the gold. And he had one million pounds of brass and copper. And then it says, and un, they didn't even know how much they had of the other stuff. And he had all that stacked up, ready to build the church. Boy, you've done a good job here. But when this man gets through. I don't know if we got uh, 100,000 talents of gold, but uh, God's got it. <laughs> and if you don't have any, I tell you what, God's able to reach out and take a hold to your family. He's not going to drag them in, He's just going to coach them in. If they respond, they can be the shoulders of this church in the future. Oh, hallelujah. And then dad can look back and say, man, that's my son. That's my daughter. And they love this church. And they would not let anybody stand against it or them. Oh, Lord, how mercy. I'm talking about the process, the process of, of, of elimination. Uh, I've let my computer go out. Come on. Here you go. The process of elimination. And uh, someone says, you need to be sick again, Brother Bourne. You wouldn't preach as long. Um, but um, I feel like I had the message. This is not something I've preached anywhere before. But God told me, if, if we will let the process of elimination and uh, we begin to eliminate Anything that would tell us that it can't happen. You know, uh, someone asked me uh, not too long ago, said, Brother Warren, how can you believe that God's going to do these things? I said, well, he said it, and I just, just believe it. Boy, God's going to heal some folks this morning. Or I say, God's going to heal some folks this morning. If he, if he could do that in... Modesto, California, or if he could do that in uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, if he could turn things around uh, in, in the town where you're from and bring about a, a revival that spills over into this church, you know, I, I, I don't have any problem believing a thousand is going to get the Holy Ghost here. You say, Brother Bourne... Come on, be real. I, I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to get you to believe in reality. Uh, I, I, I have dealt with folks that says, Brother Bourne, it, it can't happen. You know, I, the revival I got the Holy Ghost in, it was uh, 54 kids got the Holy Ghost. 
And one of the deacons of the church, he says, how do you expect us to have anything with 54 snotty-nosed kids? That's not a revival. And I thought, he's calling me a snotty-nosed kid. Well, maybe I am that, but, uh, you know, out of those 54 snotty-nosed kids, 27 become preachers and preached all over this world. They went as missionaries. Some are over there now. Our, the works are over there now. Of the 54, uh, the 27 ministers that come out of that, uh, I think uh, I am one or maybe one of two that's still alive. And uh, God kept me alive to... Uh, Quit a fire here in this town. It's not an accident that I'm here because God wants to do something now in this assembly. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And there may be a kid that was singing up here a while ago that uh, will be responsible for bringing in uh, 500 because uh, God's going to get a hold to them and while they were just singing... And then they went back to a classroom or to an auditorium. You know, God's got... Oh, Lord, have mercy. I know I'm called of God. When I was uh, seven months old, I believe it was seven months old, my mother and dad lived in New Orleans, and uh, my mother was, had me by the hand walking down Canal Street when I was seven months old and a doctor stopped her and said, ma'am, it's none of my business, but that child don't have to grow up like that. I was so bow-legged, I couldn't even hem a pig up in a corner. He'd run right between my legs. <laughs> when I walked, I walked like that. Started walking when I was six months and three weeks old and uh, I was so bow-legged, my legs were all out like that and she said, well, I'll, I'll take care of that right now, doctor. And so J.B. Thomas, who was a missionary to Israel years ago, he had a mission right off on Dergenois, one block off of Canal there in New Orleans, Louisiana. And my mother just walked one block, turned the corner, walked over to that little mission there in, on Dergenois in New Orleans and said, uh, knocked on the door of the church, and Brother Thomas was there praying. And so she said, uh, the doctor said I need to see about this boy's legs. So I, th I thought the only place I knew that could do it was here at the church. So Brother Thomas said, if you just lay hands on my son and ask God to heal his legs right now. So Brother Thomas says, in the name of the Lord. And I went, whoop. Yeah, my leg. And I walked out of there. Straight-legged. <laughs> oh, Lord. And he said, Brother J.B. Thomas said, Sister Bourne, keep your hand on that young man because the hand of God is on him to carry this gospel to the corners of the world. And that was 81 years ago. And so I am here 
to tell you that God's fixing to do it in your house. <laughs> you, you have children that are not here. You have relatives that you would love to see bow down at this altar. Well, I'll quit. Um, you know, when you're feeling as good as I feel, you, you don't want to quit. It's like sitting down at a good meal and just pinching a little bit off the cornbread and get a couple of beans in your mouth. So I think I'll just quit. But when you, you sit down to a good meal, I remember sitting down with Brother Merle Ewan and uh, I was on the district board in, there in Mississippi and we sat down to a meal and uh, Brother Ewan, while we were all eating, he was sitting there doctoring his up. And finally, we was almost finished and he says, I am now ready. <laughs> oh, Lord. He said, I am now ready. And everybody wanted to reach and grab his steak off his plate because he acted like he was enjoying it so much. And I, I thought, well, mine didn't taste that good. And he, he took one bite and he said, oh. I said, could I have a bite, Brother Ewan? That's the way I feel about this service. <laughs> Boy, if you could get a hold of what I'm feeling right now. You'd walk out of this building with something that you've never had before. I don't care how long you've been here. God would give you something that would, would excite you so much you, you couldn't wait till you could stop at Walmart or McDonald's or Burger King or wherever and say, man, y'all ought to come to our church because we have the most exciting thing in this city. And I'm telling you, if you would come in there, God would heal your family. He would deliver your children from drugs. He would, uh, he would give you the best part of life you've ever had. Uh, that's how excited I am. And I, I want to tell everybody I come in contact with that God is in the business of bringing us up to a higher state than we've ever been. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Well, I'll quit. Not because I want to. It's these kind of evenings when I just want to just say, man, let's, let's have church. Oh, hallelujah. I remember one night. God, it was, it was an awesome night. We was having church. And I said, what if this building fell in? And all of a sudden, the ground began to shake. Things on the wall began to fall down. I said, oh, Lord. I don't know what happened that night, but 27 people ran to the altar and got the Holy Ghost. I don't want this building to fall in on us, but I'd love to see it shake. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And God can do what we have. Well, I'm going to have mine. I'm going to get mine. Oh, hallelujah. 
And when David looks down at the giant, I want to look at the giant of this city and say, why, why are you saying that we can't do this? He said, let me go down. I'll take that giant out. I'm, I'm tired of our cousin trying to make us not believe God will do anything. You say, Brother Bourne, that's not the way it is. That's the way it is. And God wants to bring some men. You know, I still believe God does it. Give me two more minutes. I went to this little church out in the country and I got there and I said, this is a hopeless case. And uh, they didn't have a lot of people there that night, but when I gave the altar call, 12 men come to the altar that didn't have the Holy Ghost and they got the Holy Ghost. And they brought eight more the next night and they got the Holy Ghost. And, and now that little church out on the dirt road, uh, miles from town and not a store, you had to spend a couple of dollars for gas just to go up to the store to buy gas. But uh, they're having revival. I talked to him on the way up here and he said, Brother Bourne, our church is packed to capacity. Uh, God gives us revival. We're praying them through every night. We got to build and we don't know what to do. I said, well, just build. He said, well, it costs money. I said, God's got all the money in the world. You start and God will furnish it. Oh, hallelujah. And, and I'm talking about these guys, they wasn't bankers. Some of them, when they walked in, I wondered, are, are they all right? But when God got a hold of them, man, they, when I say shout, they take off. Matter of fact, the other day, pastor done a crazy thing. He, he come into church with a wheelbarrow and he told one of the men to get in that wheelbarrow and he rolled him around the church. I don't know what he was saying. I was, I was watching it. He called me and said, Brother Bourne, I, I know I've done a crazy thing, but he said, somebody in the church, uh, when they saw me do that, took a picture of that and they just sent it online and we had 100,000 responses he said people from all over the United States started texting, where is this church? I want to go to it. 100,000 families. And I said, I'd email every one of them back and tell them, come on, boy, we're having church over here. Stand with me. Maybe, maybe I've killed your response. But someone, even though they leave here today, they're going to come back. And they're going to bring someone with them. And it's going to start a process, Pastor, 
like you have never seen. My Lord, have mercy. And when they come in, oh Lord, what could they do? What could they do? They hadn't learned yet that you can't do it. They hadn't learned that it don't happen. They have, they've not heard that there's no use. They just come believing it like they do in that little country church that I'm talking about. And, uh, every time I have a day off, I think I'll rest. He calls me and says, Brother Bone, won't you just come by here? Anytime you got a day off, it don't matter if it's Saturday or Friday or Tuesday or Monday. Uh, you just come by and, and we, we see eight or ten pray through. And God wants to do it here, but he wants to do it in a larger scale. There's coming a day right here that 100 will pray through in one service. It don't matter to me who they are. Just bring them on, God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Come on, bring them in. And then their children. They don't know that uh, you're not supposed to come to church, so the children come and they get excited and when the pastor says, let's worship, uh, oh, this one guy prayed through in one of my revivals. And he come from the wild side of, of wow. I told him to worship, and he jumped up on the altar, and he started responding like this. I don't know what that is, but one of the dear ladies come up to me after church. She said, Brother Bourne, we can't have that in our church. I said, do you know what he was doing? I said, do you know what you were doing in this service before you saw that and got all twisted up? You was doing a Charleston. Was... <laughs> I said, where'd that come from? that from us <laughs> oh Lord and so pardon me I hope y'all will come back tonight and give me one more shot at you you know the dinner bell hadn't rung yet but if you need help you can come up here and God will give you help right now Matter of fact, God will answer you before you get here. I said, before you make it to the altar, God can answer your prayer. And it don't matter if you ask. Uh, you know, I said I was through, but uh, this, I was in uh, this church and there was not a whole lot of response and no, no visitors being brought in. And so I said, if you can't bring someone tomorrow night, don't even come back. And the next night I said, turned to the pastor. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I run everybody off. I said, I told them not to come back. And they took me at my word. And uh, finally this guy come in and he brought this guy. He was not a clean man. He, he, 
he started his church. He said, Brother Bourne told us not to come back. So he went out by the freeway, and he found this guy fixing a bed down for the night under the freeway, and he brought him to church. And he told him, he said, man, you want to go somewhere and have a good time? He said, yeah. So he crawled in the car with him, and he said, when I pulled up in the church parking lot, he said, man, this is a church. You said you was going to take me somewhere where we'd have a good time. He said, you don't know what kind of time you're going to have tonight. And when I got through preaching, I preached right at him because there wasn't many more there. And he turned around and knelt down at the pew right there on the front. He was in the front seat right by the aisle. And uh, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He said to me, we went to the office and we was talking with him and uh, getting ready to baptize him and he said oh he said I, I have a sister in San Francisco if, if she could just hear this message I said well I asked him a few questions he said well my sister is a prostitute on the street said she's out trying to pick up a few dollars and change. Said she's been a prostitute. She's on drugs. Uh, she's got a sad life. He said, can, can, can God touch her like he did me tonight? And I said, absolutely. And while we were talking, the phone rang. Pastor picked it up and he said, uh, can I help you? And he said, I, I, I didn't know who to call, but we was having church in San Francisco. We have a little mission and said, this prostitute walked in and says, when I got through preaching, she'd come and knelt at the altar and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. And said, this is what she said. She says, oh, if I could just get a hold of my brother. He's out in Texas somewhere. I don't know where he is, but says, uh, uh, she named a couple of towns and this pastor called the first one he had on the list. And he said, I have this lady in my office now, me and my wife, and she said, if, if I could just find my brother and I want him to have what I got. And, and Pastor said, well, what's his name? And she said, she called his name. And he said, uh, turned to him, he said, son, there's a call for you. <laughs> and he got the phone, and, and it, as it turned out, there's two hours time difference from Texas to San Francisco. But at the same moment that God filled him with the Holy Ghost, she was standing in the back of the church because she couldn't find a customer. And she passed by this little mission and she stepped inside. And when he knelt down in Texas, she knelt down in San Francisco. And the Holy Ghost fell on together. And boy, you talking about pastor hit the button so we could hear what was going on and they wept and talked in tongues for 30 minutes because God had filled him with the Holy Ghost and filled her with the Holy Ghost at the same time. And if God can do that, he can reach your lost son or your lost daddy or your lost sister, or just your friend. I wish the altar was full. 
I wish someone that would just come down here and say, well, Brother Bourne, I have God, but I, I want to believe God for my family and for, just for somebody. And God's going to do it. 